I'm just trying to help you win the spelling bee on how to spell blessed, that's all. Some of you say, we've seen this before, but uh, I'm reminded that people need to be reminded more than they need to be taught. Uh, I am uh, that way, and I imagine many of you are as well. This morning, as we're rounding out this blessed sermon series, uh, let me begin with a story. I'll begin with my own story, uh, and it'll be short. Uh, I, am, I feel blessed to have grown up in a home where I was exposed to the gospel at an early age and asked at a very early age if I wanted to receive Christ. I also had others in my family, extended family, some of you even knew them, uh, uh, grandparents who were uh, incredibly helpful in reinforcing that faith. I'm thankful for that blessing. I'm thankful that I had that at an early age and was raised in a church, in fact, this church, uh, to recognize the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, but I've had crises of faith. I've had moments where I've really had to uh, question, okay, God, what, is, what does this faith look like in this particular instance? Or how do I work through this? One of the big ones for me came in my teenage years, uh, when I was about 15 and 16 and, and beyond. Uh, I really ha- had to come to grips with, and it was, it was a situation thrust upon me, is this faith my own, or is this my parents' faith that I'm living out? Is this the faith that's just been passed on, or can I own this myself? And I really began to investigate very seriously at that point if this was my own. And that really continued on through my college years as, as kind of one big chapter of life, uh, until I think f- God finally got a, a real grip by the time I was 21. That doesn't mean everything was figured out, far from it. Um, I've had other moments where I've had to kind of work through what does it look like now to have this situation or that situation. There's constantly one of those we're going to have in the life of faith, and I've had plenty of those. But what I've discovered as I've looked into and investigated this faith in Jesus Christ and the proclamation that we get through the good news is as it works out in my life, I find nowhere else, nowhere else that can give me the answers to why I have value purpose, and direction. Nothing else seems to answer those questions. The good news of Jesus Christ taking hold in my life provides those answers and a way forward. And then ultimately there's more than that, kingdom life. That's the basics of my story this morning, and that's where we are in the BLESS series, this last part of our intentional evangelism sermon series. The B B was begin with prayer, often our forgotten step, isn't it? Begin with prayer. Second, listen with care. Third, eat together. Eat with somebody. It's amazing how that changes the dynamics of a conversation just to sit over a meal with somebody or coffee or donuts or whatever it is. Serve with love to actually serve somebody else and and to give the gift of service changes the picture as well. It can open up interesting new avenues to sharing the good news, to showing, in fact, the good news, because that's what we're doing. And finally today, share your story is the final S that we're looking at. And what did I just do with you? In less than uh, two minutes, I shared with you the very basics of my story, didn't I? Didn't take much effort, didn't take much work. I just had to know that story to share. And so I want to talk this morning a little bit about some basic ideas on how to share that story and things to look for as we round out this uh, intentional evangelism sermon series. And I want to look at, at Peter just a little bit and at Jesus and his disciples. So no small task. We'll just look at a couple of small windows, though. We're going to look at John 1, 40 through 42. It should pop up on the screen here to begin with, where Jesus calls Andrew and then he calls Peter. In 40, Andrew's already kind of recognized this call, and it says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John, that's John the Baptist, 
had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Either one means rock, and and more specifically, a smaller rock from the bigger rock, basically. There's a close association there, something solid on which I'm going to build. Peter is, is an interesting one. I, sometimes Peter gets criticized for lack of faith. I wish I had the faith of Peter quite often. Peter's the one who got out of the boat, isn't he, and walked on the water or tried to uh, when Jesus was there walking on the water. Peter's the one who, when Jesus says, I'm going to wash your feet, everybody is, is kind of thrown off, but they're ready to have their feet washed. But Peter's the one who says, no, you're going to wash all of me, Jesus. That's what I want. That's what's got to happen. And, and he says, no, that's not how it works, Peter. You're already clean. Just your feet. Peter's the one who says, Jesus, when Jesus says, I'm going to go and die, Peter says, well, I'm going to do that too. I'm going to die with you, Jesus. We'll go with you. But Peter's then the one who denies Jesus three times when the going gets really tough. And then for all the disciples, this incredible zeal that they had to follow Jesus. You catch that in the beginning. This is the Messiah, the Christ. This is the one we've been waiting for. They follow him, and probably for various reasons they follow him. And they see some amazing things. But then Jesus dies, and that's where we pick up the story in John 20. Now, by the time of John 20, uh, Jesus has come, he's been resurrected, but they're kind of just waking up to this reality. This is not what they expected. They didn't expect Jesus to die, let alone to come back to life. And so the scene in John 20, starting at verse 19, it's a different scene than those early days. It says, On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus comes in and and immediately brings calm, doesn't he? He brings peace to a situation of anxiety. And, and that peace, peace be with you, is may you experience God's best. That's that shalom peace. It's not simply like we sometimes think of peace, the absence of conflict. No, may God's best go with you. It's a blessing is what it is. Jesus walks in and immediately blesses them. And, and a, a something we ought to note that's important to, to mention a little aside from from where we're going today, is that this is actually Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. This is not an apparition. This is not a ghost. This is not a mass hallucination, as some people propose, that they all had at the same time. And this is not just well-wishing, as sometimes people, somebody that we love passes away, and people will say, oh, I thought I saw them at the store, or something like that. That's not what this is. This is the actual resurrected Jesus. Come back, standing there, in physical form, hands and feet, you can see. And we've got other evidence in the Gospels to, to push that. I just want to make that clear. But what's interesting about this, these people in their incredible zeal are uh, in their early days. Now they're fearful, locked room. Jesus somehow appears in a locked room, which is an interesting thing. 
But we can catch a couple things about what Jesus does in this that seem characteristic of Jesus even today. Jesus shows up unexpectedly. When they least expect it, that's when he shows up. It seems like Jesus did that in history, too, in many ways. But, but now they're sitting there in what seems like the most awkward position, concerned about their own safety. Jesus is gone. Dead people stay dead. All of a sudden, Jesus is back. He shows up unexpectedly. And the other thing we notice about this, I think this is remarkable. In their weakness, in their time of distress, do you notice that the thing that Jesus does is he gives them power, authority, and responsibility? Isn't that an interesting thing? You know, you'd think we'd want to have some kind of a plan to send them to counseling or something like that and get them back to health and, and get working. No, he says he gives them power, authority, and responsibility. We've got a job to do, brothers. Let's go do this. Now, he gives them this authority, it appears, to forgive sins. Of course, we can do that person to person if someone wrongs us, but it, it doesn't appear that he's uh, simply, he, God still is the one who forgives. I don't think as you read it, uh, he's translate, transferring all of that to them. But I think he is saying, you've got to go and be on the lookout for the people who need this forgiveness. Find them and make sure that they find it too. Give them that forgiveness. You've got the Spirit in you to go and do that. You're empowered to now go find the people who need this good news that you are now experiencing in real time. And what happens if you keep reading the story and get into the book of Acts and into the rest of the New Testament? You discover that the disciples, in fact, rise to the occasion. They don't stay in this locked room, in this fearful state. They get out. Their fear transfers to faith, their weakness to power, and their inability shows God's glory, in fact, as they go on. It's a remarkable turn. And, and just as we're, we're kind of sitting on this moment that Jesus gives us his power, authority, and responsibility, let's think of this as the church for just a moment, too, of what this means for us. How does this inspire our ability as the church to look for the lost and the unforgiven in this world? Do we function like a fortress with locked doors, fearful of the outside world and what could happen? Or are we supposed to function like a mission outpost? We're together in this, and now we go out from here and we share the good news from here. I think it, it works both on an individual and a corporate level. Are the doors locked to the building so that we're in here safe and that's it and we're happy? Or are we ready to go out and share this story? It's a good question to ask us. And I think if Jesus has shown up in your life, then you are empowered and I am empowered and authorized to share that story. This is a mission outpost. We go from here to share the story. How do we do it? That's the question. That's what we want to get at this morning. Some, some thoughts on how we share. Uh, at, before our family lived in Lincoln, we were living in Colorado Springs, uh, I was serving at a church there. We were at dinner one night, the five of us, um, and it was Chili's or something like that, and uh, in the little back room, kind of all by herself, and then this other large party of an extended family came in and was sitting next to us. Um, and, and at some point, there was a connection made uh, between the two tables, which was kind of fun, and they started talking to us, we started talking to them. And, and one of the, the guys at the table sitting close to me, he turned to me and he's making small talk for a moment. And then he just transitions. He says, hey, do you have a home church? Do you need a church home? And it was a, it was a great moment. I felt loved, in fact, in that moment. And I remember walking away from that uh, and talking to Stephanie about it for a while and saying, you know, he did that so effortlessly. I didn't feel like he, he forced it. 
it worked into the conversation so perfectly to ask me if I had a place where I belonged. Why can't I be so natural? I'm so awkward when I do that, that kind of thing. Why? And she's like, it just takes practice. Just work at it. She's much better than I am. And I've worked at it, and I've worked at it. And now it's becoming, it's still awkward, but you can use that to your advantage sometimes, but it's becoming more natural. I felt blessed, actually, that he asked me. Maybe others will feel the same when we ask them. Let's think about, I have, I have four things I just want to point out that, that we can um, think about and that might be helpful as we think about uh, sharing the story. The first is that we need to look for natural openings with people. What happened in that instance in Colorado was a natural opening. Uh, it wasn't forced in that case. Look for the open doors that are out there. As I said, my wife is, is quite good at this. And so here's a little story that illustrates it, I think, very well. Um, my, I have three kids. My middle child uh, has a muscle disorder, so she's physically disabled. Um, and we've had to work very hard. Eating is difficult, very difficult. In fact, she was at the point of malnourishment just within the last year, and we fixed that, but it's so hard to eat. Um, and we were working hard to do that. And so we've had to work hard with her to tell her, you've got to eat Otherwise, there are consequences to this, you know, that we've got to make every bite count. That's where we were at. And so she's sitting in a group at school uh, this last fall with a couple other students in first grade. That's the grade she's in. And they're talking about chores and things they have to do around their house, that kind of thing. And, you know, one kid's like, I have to make my bed. I have to put my shoes away. And my daughter is like, I have to eat or else I'll die. Next person, (laughs) just matter-of-factly, you know. To which the teacher sitting there is kind of like, this, this is new, right? This is new territory for the teacher. And so the teacher emailed my wife, Stephanie, and said, here's what your daughter said in class. I just wanted you to be aware. Maybe you should have a follow-up conversation. That might be, you know, good or just so you know this information. And my wife, uh, she texted or emailed back and she said, oh, we, we know. We've had to have these conversations. We've had to be frank, actually, even at this young age with her because her situation's different. But we know our hope. We've shared our hope with her, not just that she needs to eat, but we know that we're not guaranteed uh, a certain amount of time with her. We don't know what the future holds, but we know our hope is in Jesus Christ, and she knows that too. An open door all of a sudden to share the good news in a case like that. Just as Jesus showed up unexpectedly, so too these open doors might show up unexpectedly. They might be different than we ever thought they would be. We might be thinking they're going to come in one way and they come a completely different way. And our job as disciples of Christ who are going to share the good news is to have our antennas up, ready for those moments. When Jesus sends out the 12, when he sends out the 72 in the Gospels to share uh, the good news of the kingdom, he gives them the instructions that when you go into a town... Uh, try and find an open door, basically. That's what he says. If you find that open door, sit down at the table, share the, share the good news, heal people, do all the things that you're supposed to do. If you don't find that open door, shake the dust off your feet, walk on, find the next open door. I think the, the fact of the matter is we need to keep looking for those open doors. They're out there. They're very findable. But if our antennas are down, we're not going to see them. We're not going to take advantage of them. They're out there to be found. And they'll come in all kinds of different ways. It might be a conversation about a movie, a book, tattoos, whether you like them or don't. By the way, they can be a great way in. Prayer, church, small groups, whatever it is, it can be virtually anything that opens the door. Be on the lookout. Second thing uh, I think is important in sharing your story is to 
portion control is what we'll call it. Just tell enough of your story. Don't overdo it. Uh, for some of us, that might be easy. For others, that might not. But here's uh, an example of, of lack of portion control. Uh, I, when I did my graduate degree, I wasn't going to be a pastor. I was studying church history. Uh, and so I, I was working on that at the time. And I used to have exams in those early years. And uh, I remember to study for those, part of the, the helpful thing the night before was just to say all the information out loud, you know, about the Puritans or the Second Great Awakening or whatever, you know, all the stuff we find interesting. And uh, my wife would be laying in bed too, and I'd say, Stephanie, I'm just going to start talking about it. You feel free to fall asleep when you want. Boy, it was just the sweetest thing for her to fall asleep to that. She fell asleep so fast to my words. Um, and it's too much, though, for her too much information. She's like, I don't, I'm not interested in this right now. You know, I want to sleep. We can, we can sometimes give a little too much information at once, and people check out on us. Uh, in a few weeks, we're going to be offering a Sunday school class based on the book I once was lost. Uh, and here's a little promo for that, basically, because there are five things that the authors talk about in this book, five thresholds that people need to cross before they come to know Jesus Christ. Um, and so I'll give you these five thresholds. Maybe it'll whet your appetite for this. Um, they say that, first of all, people need to learn to trust a Christian. I don't know if you're aware of this, but just saying you're a Christian now does not engender trust in everybody out in the world. In some cases, it, it brings the opposite uh, skepticism immediately. Some people just don't trust that they can trust us. Just building those relationships. That's why eating and listening and all those things actually build that trust. Second thing, threshold that people need to cross is just to become curious about the good news. That doesn't mean they're ready to make a change. That just means, oh, this sounds interesting. And that'll wax and wane over time. All these take time, these thresholds to go through. The third is that somebody's actually open to change. And let's face it, we always think we're open, or often think we're open to change, and we're not. I'm a very open-minded person, but we're not always as, as, as we open as we think we are. It takes a lot of work for us to change sometimes our habits and behaviors. The fourth is that they seek after God. They're actually moving from curiosity to actually a thirst or a hunger for something more. They're realizing there's something more. And the fifth is that they actually walk through the door of the kingdom. I bring these up because with the portion control, because it's important to know if you're sharing your story with somebody where they are on that journey towards knowing Jesus Christ. If they're at a, a stage of curiosity, but they don't really have a hunger for God, then we run into a danger because you can imagine they're holding a Dixie cup and you have a pitcher. You have to stop at the right point. Otherwise, it just pours over and that can actually douse their curiosity. We need, to, we need to share enough of our story or share enough with somebody to bring them along on the journey, not to become a roadblock for them. Look for the open doors. Share enough to bring them closer to God, even if it's one step. The third thing is to actually know your story. Know the why of why you believe. This is why I shared at the very beginning my own story. It, it tells me the why. It reinforces for me the why of why I believe in Christ and why I follow Jesus. 1 Peter 3.15, we heard this morning. Peter says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. What's interesting is Peter actually kind of answers the why for us right there. He doesn't say for the faith that you have. That's an important word. It's a little overused in our day and age. What's your faith tradition? That sort of thing. Now, this is our hope tradition. What's the hope that you have? Kind of answers the why to begin with. Because there is a hope to have. That's part of my why. 
And we can, we can, uh, it's important to know that if you're going to share that story. One of the ways that uh, in our denomination and some very similar to it, uh, that people uh, greeted one another in our early days, the late 1800s, when they, especially when they hadn't seen each other in a while, was to ask the question, how goes your walk? It's a good question. They'd ask each other that on a regular basis. How goes your walk with Christ? I mean, if you're, if you're going to be asked that with any regularity, that keeps your fresh or faith fresh, current, up to date. You, you know you're going to have to answer the question at some point. I better think about this. I might be living it, but I need to be able to articulate why it is that this matters, why it is that this makes a difference, what it is that God is doing, where the proximity of Jesus to my own life right now and what that means and how I would bring Jesus closer and get closer to Christ. On the, the back of your, an insert in your bulletin, you can see uh, this sharing your story. There's three points that it has there to, to think through your why, basically, and sharing your own story. It talks about what was your story like before, during, and after coming to know Christ. And I'd encourage you to fill that out later. Some of us might not have a long before. I don't have a long before. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home. I can't remember life without Christ. I can remember moments where I've, I've wondered, and I've, I've had difficulty in reconciling some things. So I could share those things. Some of you have a, a story that you clearly remember what life was like before, and now you know what it's like after. Those are the important things that we need to reflect on. That gets at the why of your faith, why this matters, what changed because of Christ, what continues to change because of Christ. How is Jesus changing you even now, renovating your heart, shaping who you are? And as I showed you at the start of the sermon, it doesn't take long to tell your story. You might not be called upon to tell your whole story, but you should know your story of faith so that you can share any part of it at any time. How, how has Jesus changed who you are? How is he working through you right now? The last thing I'd point out, and this is appropriate with this passage of Scripture, is that we need to live by the Spirit, not by regrets of the past. Sometimes we can mess up along the way of sharing our faith. Sometimes we have difficult days. Sometimes we live in fear. All of those things can come into play. Uh, regret says, you missed your chance. You shouldn't try again. Right? Regret tells us, why would you fail at this again? Quit while you're ahead. Somebody's probably better at this than you are. Let them do it. That's what regret tells us. But in fact, we're empowered by the Spirit, if we're disciples of Christ, to go and do this, to share the good news. And the Spirit gives us the wind then to move forward. The Spirit says, keep at it. The Spirit says, the words will come. Be ready. I'm with you. The Spirit says, okay, so that one didn't work. Tomorrow's a new day. Keep at it. You're not alone. Thanks be to God for that, that we're not alone in this. It's not just my story. It's our story. It's the story of Christ working through us. I've told you before, I'm not naturally gifted at evangelism. That never lets me off the hook, and it doesn't let you off the hook either. Most of us are probably not naturally gifted at evangelism, actually. Uh, and, and even if you looked at the disciples, I bet not all of them were naturally gifted at evangelism. But they believed the story. And it took root in them. And they were called upon by Jesus. Now go and share this good news. And so we work at it. 
And you know what? We get better at it the more we work at it. I've been trying harder and harder over the last months and, and more to try and share the good news in as many situations as I can, and I enjoy it. I really do. I'm an introvert. I, I like my alone time, but I really do. I had a, an opportunity just a few weeks ago where I got to share a, a fair amount of my story, connecting it with somebody else uh, of how Christ has changed me and how that could happen in their lives. I don't know what the end of the story will be, but I can tell you this. I walked away with the, from that with a reinvigorated faith in Jesus Christ. Sharing your story reinvigorates your faith in Christ. It's an amazing thing. And when we don't do it, we're missing out. Of course, it's not simply for our benefit, but the byproduct is we feel it more and more. The faith grows stronger in us. We feel closer to Christ in the process of sharing our faith. So look for those opportunities to share. Look for those opportunities to share enough. Especially know your why. Know your story. That'll prompt you to share more, to want to let others know. And live by the power of the Spirit, not by the power of regret. One moves you forward, one moves you back. Jesus gives us the power, and he gives us the peace, the blessing to go forward and do this. When you share your story, your faith gets stronger. You see it more clearly, and others begin to see that faith too, and hold on to that faith, and claim that faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give your peace to us. You want the best for us in this life, and we pray that this morning that takes root in us even deeper and goes out from us that others would experience that same blessing. Father, we are sometimes fooled and deceived in this world, thinking that we have found things that can replace you, take your place, that are better than you and what the promises you have to offer. But Father, we will never find those things. We will only be deceived by idols. May we not succumb to those idols this morning. May our eyes be fully focused on you, our hearts fully oriented in your direction. And may your spirit work through us this morning to be in your presence now and to take that presence where we go. That the very breath of your spirit working through us would breathe your peace on those around us, and they would be changed simply by being in your presence dwelling in us. Father, for those who are feeling far away from that presence this morning, we ask that your spirit would come on them right now. And Father, we ask that your spirit would be on us as we turn to your table this morning and share in the blessing that is your body and blood given for us. Pray this all in your name. Amen.